Thank you for joining us. Today we'll begin our study of the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be discussing how we can trace Jesus' lineage back to King David through both Mary and Joseph in the incredible faith and obedience of Mary and Joseph. So if you'll open your Bibles up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, we'll begin our lesson. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for this group. It is just amazing the way you continue to work through this group in so many ways. And I just thank you for the time. I thank you for your word that you've given us in the Bible. And I ask that you use this time in a way to open our hearts and minds. Let us hear what you would have to say to us this morning. Use it in a way that not only just gives us knowledge, but continues to change us into the people that you want us to be. And I ask that you speak through me and speak through anyone else who speaks up today, that we can all learn from one another and let it be your words, not our words. Let us use it in a way to bring glory to you, not to ourselves, and reflect you to all those that we encounter. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start Matthew today. We've been through the Gospel of John and we've now spent a lot of time in various books that were written by both Luke and uh, Acts, as well as several of the letters from Paul. And so I thought it would be good to get back into one of the Gospels. And I prayed about it, and Matthew just kept being placed on my heart. So we're going to be in Matthew for probably the next several months. And let me give you a little bit of background on Matthew. Matthew's name is not mentioned very much in Scripture. In fact, I'll show you a couple of places that you can see it. If you'll go over, keep your finger in Matthew. I'm going to have us moving around a little bit. But if you go over and look in Luke 5, go over to the right, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Let's look at chapter 5 of Luke, verse 3. And this is Jesus. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, which is Peter and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he told Simon to put the nets down into the deep water. And Simon says that they've worked hard all night and they've caught nothing, but he's still obedient. And they did that and they caught a great quantity of fish. And you see in verse eight, Simon Peter saw that. He fell down at Jesus's feet saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And then you see verse nine, for amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, do not fear, from now on you'll be catching men. So here's the first four disciples. Andrew, who is Peter's brother, is there with them, okay? And so then we read on. You can go back and read the rest of this later if you'd like. But if you drop down to verse 7, you see where Matthew comes in. Verse 27, and after that, he went out, meaning Jesus, and noticed a tax gatherer named Levi. That's Matthew. Matthew also had the name of Levi sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So tax collectors in the Jewish culture, they were usually very wealthy because what they would do, they were required to collect taxes and send the money that was required back to Rome. But anything that they collected beyond that, they could keep. And so they were usually very wealthy, which meant they also were very despised because the people felt that they were robbing them of their money. 
And what's interesting is you see verse 28 of Luke 5. It says, then Matthew, he left everything behind, rose up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him, meaning Jesus, in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at table with them. So Levi at least had enough wealth that he gave a huge party for Jesus And you notice that who mainly is mentioned here is other tax gatherers. So a lot of outcast people. That's Matthew. Go back over to Matthew 1, the first gospel. Let's go back where we're going to spend most of our time. I'll also just show you one other place real quick. Matthew 10 in his own gospel. You can see here Matthew 10, 2. It says, now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, who we were just talking about, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who we read about just a minute ago in Luke, and then here are the others, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, there's Matthew, and actually he's identified as Matthew the tax gatherer, James, the son of Alphaeus, that's not the brother of Jesus, I've mentioned that to you before, that's a different James, and Thaddeus, Now, Thaddeus, there's not much known about him in Scripture. There's not much said about him. And he actually shows up as different names. Sometimes, for instance, in the Gospel of John, refers to him as Judas, not Iscariot. And then you see Simon and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. So Matthew's one of the 12 apostles. He writes the Gospel of Matthew. And tradition has it that he preached for 12 years in Palestine after the resurrection and then went on after that to other lands. But there's no scripture for that. I just wanted to tell you that that's sort of what tradition says. And Matthew writes this gospel to the Jews. Matthew is Jewish and his perspective in the four gospels is that Jesus is the sovereign the promised Messiah. And that's really the direction that his gospel takes. When you look at the other gospels, sometimes people say, well, why are there four gospels? It's all the same thing. It's like four different people writing their different perspectives of their time that they spent with Jesus. But again, God speaking through each one of them. But it's like anything, when you have different people that are witnesses, they view it through their own human eyes and mind, and even though God is giving them the words. So Matthew's approach is really more from the Jewish perspective, that Jesus is the sovereign promised Messiah. Mark, his gospel talks more about Jesus as a servant. And if you read that gospel, you'll see that a lot, the way Jesus served others. Luke, remember Luke was a doctor, and who better to talk about Jesus that he was actually 100% man. He was the son of man, he's referred to. He was 100% human, even though he was God, and Luke's a doctor. So if anybody can write something to talk about the human side of Jesus, it would be Luke. And then finally, the fourth gospel, John, which we've gone through. John's approach is more to then talk about Jesus being the son of God. He was not only 100% human, but he was 100% God. And so when you put all four of those together, what you have is a picture of Jesus is the sovereign God and a servant man. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. So What we'll be studying is Matthew's approach is really to speak to the Jewish people 
and to say this Jesus is actually the Messiah that we've been waiting on. This is the Messiah that was prophesied to us in the Old Testament. Some people believe it was the first gospel written. Others believe it was the second gospel written. I wouldn't get too hung up with that. It was written somewhere in about 55 to 60 AD, probably written in Syria or Palestine. Since this book was written to the Jews, what Matthew does is he starts out talking about the genealogy of Jesus. You know, when I first started reading the Bible, when I'd come to these lists of all these names, that was one of the first things that I would just skip over because it's like, I don't know all these names. This makes my head spin. Now that I've spent more time in the Bible, there's enough here in this genealogy that we could spend the next several weeks just talking about these people. I'm going to highlight a few of them today for you, but uh, I've learned that don't jump through all of this stuff, even though it's just a bunch of names. Now, some of them you don't really need to know that much about, but I am going to point out some interesting things in this genealogy today that normally, perhaps when you've read this in the past, you've just, like your eyes glazed over and you said, like I did, okay, genealogy of Jesus. Let's get down to the bottom. He was born from Mary, a virgin birth, and adopted by Joseph as his human father. So let's go through this, and a few things I want to point out here. There's another genealogy of Jesus, and we'll take a look at it in a minute. It's in Luke. That genealogy gives Jesus' genealogy through Mary, okay? This genealogy, Matthew's genealogy, gives the lineage or the genealogy of Jesus through Joseph. And you might say, well, why are we going back and in, in connecting the dots between Joseph and David and Abraham if Joseph really wasn't his dad. Well, in the Jewish faith, your lineage was of all importance. What tribe did you come from? You had to connect all the way back to Abraham, all right, to truly be Jewish. And so these lineages, these genealogies were very important. In Joseph's case, the reason Matthew is outlining this is because Joseph is, you might look at him as he's the adoptive father of Jesus, okay? And so there are lots of legal rights that come through that adoption. That's where inheritance rights come from, things like that. So the legal lineage was very important that you can also trace Jesus back up to Abraham through Joseph, his adopted father all right so that's why this is here i'm going to show you mary's in just a minute and what's interesting is you can trace jesus's lineage back to david both through joseph and through mary fulfilling all the prophecy so let's begin matthew 1 verse 1 the book of the genealogy of jesus christ the son of david the son of abraham so matthew starts out right from the beginning saying let me tell you about this jesus he is the son, and by the way, when you see son throughout here, you can kind of look at that as it means descendant of. It doesn't mean that Jesus was the direct son of David. And they're actually in both genealogies in Matthew and Luke. There are some generations skip. You know, it'll say somebody is somebody's son who it's really their grandson. It just means descendant. Think of this as a condensed genealogy. You might look at it that way, but it still traces back. And so he begins by mentioning David and Abraham because let me show you why that's so important. Keep your finger here in Matthew. I'm going to take you over to some verses in the Old Testament. 
that prophesies that this Messiah would come from the line of David and Abraham. Go over to 2 Samuel 7. It's over to the left. If you go to the middle of your Bible, you'll be in Psalms and Proverbs and keep going left and you'll get to Samuel. I want you to go to 2 Samuel 7. What this is, is you have the prophet Nathan talking to David and I'll show you that it is, uh, if you look up in chapter 7, verse 3, it says, And Nathan said to the king, so this is Nathan talking, and then what happens is the Lord comes, God comes and talks to Nathan, you see in verse 4, but it came about in the same night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, this is King David at this point, let's skip down to verse 8, Now therefore you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, remember he was a sheep herder, from following the sheep, that you should be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. And then drop down to verse 12. When your days, meaning David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men that may have been even talking about his next son, Solomon. David's next son. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul. Remember, Saul was king before David, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So this prophecy, the Jewish people knew that David was going to have a child that hadn't been born yet. He would have a son that would eventually build the temple that was built in Jerusalem. The throne of David's kingdom would be established forever, and it would not be taken away. In fact, it wasn't taken away from Solomon, even though Solomon messed up in so many ways. The kingdom actually split, but God was so mad at Solomon, didn't let that the throne be taken away from Solomon during his life, but it was his two sons that caused the basically like civil war and the kingdom was split into the north and the south. So the Jewish people knew that there was this prophecy that this kingdom of David's throne would reign forever. And now flip over, I won't show you all of them, but flip over to Psalms. Just keep going to the right, Psalms 89. I look at verse 3. It says, I've made a covenant with my chosen I have sworn to David my servant, I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. So everyone knows that this line of David is really, really important. Now, keep going, just go a little bit further to the right, Psalm 132, and I'll begin in verse 11. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body, I will set upon your throne if your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I will teach them, their sons will also sit upon your throne forever. So clearly there's going to be this line and David's going to have a throne forever. Now keep going to the right and let's go over and look at Isaiah 9.6. Just a little bit further over to the right after Proverbs, Isaiah 9.6. Again, this is from the prophet Isaiah long before 
the birth of Christ. This was written by the prophet Isaiah probably around 680 to 700 BC, so almost 700 years before Christ is born. And it says, verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. This is prophesizing that there's going to be a child that comes from the line of David that's going to be the Messiah. And then just go over a few pages to Isaiah 11. And this is important to bring us back to the genealogy. Chapter 11, verse 1, Isaiah 11, 1. Then a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. By the way, these seven descriptive titles, these are descriptive titles of the Holy Spirit that we read there in verse 2. So I won't come back here, but I want you to see something. Notice that there's going to be a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse. We're going to see that Jesse was actually David's father, okay? And Jesus comes from the stem of Jesse. And then we also see that a shoot, this is important. If you go back and look at the Hebrew language, the translation of that also means Nazareth, all right? Nazareth means branch. And so... Isn't it interesting that this is prophecy that there's going to be a child that comes from Nazareth? Hmm, interesting. Almost 700 years before Jesus is born. So I wanted to point that out to you. So that's why Matthew is connecting the dots to get Jesus and show the line of David and back to Abraham. So you can see he begins, I'm not going to read all these names, to Abraham was born Isaac, to Isaac born Jacob, and Jacob, Judah, and his brothers, and we read all about that. And to Judah was born Perez and Zerah, which were twins, by Tamar. Now, this is interesting. I'm not going to spend the time today, but if you're taking notes, write down Genesis 38. Go read about Tamar. Tamar, one of Judah's sons, is who she married. All right? And then that son died. And Tamar posed as a prostitute and went and slept with her father-in-law all right, after her husband died. And essentially, there were twins born. We see them right there. Perez was one of them. And had that not happened, we don't have the line. The line is broken to get us from David down to Joseph. Isn't that interesting? It seems like, well, gosh, Tamar seems kind of messed up, you know? I mean, that's, that's just wrong, going and sleeping with your father-in-law to have a child because your husband died, his son. It gets more interesting. And by the way, most genealogies don't even have females in them back then. In this genealogy, we got five females. I'm going to point those out to you. So then we read on lots more names. And then you see Salmon, which that is how you pronounce it. It's not pronounced Salmon. You actually pronounce it with the L. We see Salmon's name written in verse 4 and 5. And to Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab. Okay, if you're taking notes, go read the story of Rahab and Joshua chapter 2 and 6. Rahab was a harlot, all right? So here we go again. Sort of seems unfit to be in the line of Jesus' legal lineage here. 
Rahab was a harlot, and if you go read the story, she was responsible for essentially protecting Joshua and the spies that went in to spy out Jericho. And you remember she believed and she had faith. In fact, if you go with me real quick over to Hebrews 1131, I'll just take you over there real quick. Hebrews 11.31 mentions Rahab. And what it says is, it says, By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. So the people of Jericho were disobedient and they all perished. And yet Rahab, because she protected the spies and had faith and had belief, she was protected and taken out of Jericho and ended up in the line of Joseph. That's the second female. And then we see Boaz was born Obed by Ruth. Now the story of Ruth, we went through that about a month or so ago. I'll encourage you to go read the book of Ruth. It's a great, beautiful story. In particular, if you go look at Ruth chapter 4, verses 12 and 17. Ruth was a foreigner and she came and married into Naomi's family. Naomi was her mother-in-law. And it turned out that Naomi's husband died and then Ruth's husband died, which would have been Naomi's son. And her other son died as well. And her other son was married. That daughter-in-law left. But Ruth said, I'm not going to leave you, Naomi. And eventually Ruth and Naomi, they travel, they leave the land of where they were and they came to Bethlehem. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, guess what his name was? Boaz. And he was fairly wealthy and they were very poor. And so what was allowed back then is you could come into fields as you were growing crops. You had to kind of leave behind some of the crop for the poor. And Ruth would come and glean from that field from the grain to gather up some grain for her and her mother-in-law. All right. Long story short, eventually Boaz takes Ruth as his wife. And what happens? They have a son. And there you go. Obed was their son. And then from Obed came Jesse. Remember, I just showed you Jesse in the Old Testament. And to Jesse was born David, the king. All right. And then we go on in verse six. It says, and to David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Now we know about the story of David. You can go look at that in Second Samuel chapters 11 and 12. But you remember King David should have been out on the battlefield with his army. And instead he was just lounging around and he looked over on the roof and he looked over and he saw Bathsheba. And he said, wow, that's a pretty good looking woman. So he had her brought over to see him and he ended up having sex with her and she got pregnant. And so David thinks, well, I, OK, I can work my way out of this. What I'll do is I'll have your husband, who is one of the head guys in the military, I'll bring him back from the battlefield and when he comes back, of course, he'll want to have sex with you because he's been gone so long and then he'll think it's his child. So David does that. Well, when he comes back from the battlefield, he says, I can't have sex with my wife when all my men are out fighting. So he refuses to have sex with his wife, even go into the house. So that didn't work. So then David tries to get him drunk. So he'll have sex with his wife. That didn't work. So finally, David sends him back to the battlefield with instructions that they place him right on the front lines where he'll get killed, which he did get killed. 
Bathsheba then has the son, which the Lord is very upset with David from this. David repents when he's confronted by the prophet Nathan about it and realizes he has done wrong. That son is struck dead, but the next son that he has is Solomon. Okay, and so that's the son, then Solomon's line. We won't read on anymore, but the next woman that is mentioned here, you see it says, to David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Uriah was the military guy. So here, now the fourth woman that we've mentioned, an adulteress, we got problems. And then we read on and we eventually get to Mary. Down in verse 16, we see, to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. By the way, it's clear that it says Jesus was born of Mary, not of Joseph. Okay, so let me real quick, because it's interesting, let's go look at the lineage of Mary. If you go over to the right, and we'll go over to Luke 3, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time because time's getting away from me already this morning. Luke 3 has the lineage of Mary, and I'll just show you where it breaks off. This lineage, by the way, traces Mary all the way back to Adam which is interesting. So it goes all the way back. And again, it's a condensed lineage, as I described. Verse 23 of Luke 3 says, And when he, being Jesus, began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being supposedly the son of Joseph. See, non-believers just thought that Mary had gotten pregnant either with Joseph before they got married or, you know, on a fling before they got married. But it says, being supposedly the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, or your translation may have Heli, H-E-L-I, same person. So Eli or Heli is Joseph's father-in-law. This is where the lineage gets us over to Mary. Joseph did not beget Jesus. It doesn't say that at all in here. Mary is the descendant from Eli. And so you can think of Eli as being Jesus's grandfather. That's another way to look at it, which would make him his son. He is the son of Eli. He's the grandson of Eli. And you can follow all the lineage down then. And what this is, by the way, let me point this out. Let me show you where it's split out. Verse 31, do you see where it says the son of Nathan, the son of David? Do you see here where it says David's son is Nathan? So David had another son named Nathan. He was also a son from Bathsheba, but he's the brother of Solomon. So that's where it still traces you back to David, but it's through a different son of David. So Joseph came from Solomon and Mary came through Nathan, but both sons of David. So you get them both all the way back to the line of David. Isn't that interesting? And then you can read on if you get down to Luke chapter 3, verse 38. You can see this tracing of Mary goes all the way back. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Takes you all the way back to the very beginning. So you can spend more time on that if you want. So let me just try to finish out this and then we'll have some discussion. Just drop down to verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, meaning before they had sex, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, isn't it interesting that we spend 16, 17 verses at the very beginning tracing the legal lineage of Joseph, and yet we only have one verse, just three lines, that's talking about the divine lineage of Jesus. That's all it takes, because it was through the Holy Spirit, directly to Mary, one sentence, that's it. That's his father. That's his daddy. The other thing that is interesting about this, well, let me read on, then we'll come back. Verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. So let me explain how this worked back then. When you were betrothed, it was like a contract, but there was a probationary period, usually about a year, where you were betrothed. It's kind of, think of it as an engagement but you weren't allowed to have sex. It was kind of to test your faithfulness and what have you. And so this came about. She became pregnant with child before this betrothal period had expired. And back then, adultery or, or this would be, you know, having sex outside of marriage. If you weren't a virgin when you got married, you can go back and look at this. Read it in Deuteronomy 22 you would get stoned to death. So the penalty for that was severe. And Joseph, he loved Mary. He didn't want to make a big deal about it, but this was an embarrassment. They were going to be subject to scorn and ridicule. And if she was unfaithful, this was a serious thing. And so he didn't want to embarrass her, but he didn't want to go forward with the betrothal. That's how he's feeling. He's feeling betrayed that she's pregnant. Verse 20, But when he, Joseph, had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, again, see, it says son of David. It just means he's descended from David. Do not be afraid. He should be afraid because he's going to be subject to scorn and ridicule and all kinds of stuff from everyone he knows. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit meaning it's of God. I already showed you Isaiah 7:14. Let me take you back over to Jeremiah 31. It's right after Isaiah. Jeremiah 31. Show you a little more prophecy. Let's look at 31 verse 22. It says, For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman will encompass a man. That's really strange wording. I went back and did some research on this. Even the rabbis back then believed that this Messiah would come from a very unusual birth, the way this is written. A woman will encompass a man, meaning she's going to have a child, but how that child got there, you know, it's inside her, but it's going to be a strange birth. So even the rabbis back then, here it is in the prophecy in Jeremiah. And when you read on in that chapter, go over to verse 30, but everyone will die for his own iniquity. Verse 31, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Remember, they had split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. You can read on. There's so many prophecies of Jesus, 
And the Jewish people, they had all of this. You know, they knew that it was going to be an unusual birth. And what's interesting to me also is that Jesus is now the only Jew that can trace his lineage all the way back to David. Because when the Romans came and destroyed the temple in the year A.D. 70, all the records were destroyed. And so nobody to this day can trace with records their lineage all the way back to David other than Jesus because we have the Gospels. Fascinating. So we read on verse 21. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. So the name Jesus is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Joshua. And at that time, that was a very, very common name. And what it means is Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh means God. And so Jesus really means Jesus will save. That's what his name means. And so the angel's telling Joseph why Jesus is coming. He's coming. This Messiah is going to come and save his people. So can you imagine being Joseph? Here you are betrothed to Mary. You find out she's pregnant. This angel shows up and tells you, hey, this is going to be the Messiah. And through God's grace, he's giving us all a son who's going to die in our place to pay for the penalty for our sins. It took a lot of faith on the part of Joseph. Just think about this. Just think of being Joseph. God gave us his son to die in our place, to pay for our sins. We're all broken sinners, and we need a Savior. And what's interesting is Christianity is the only religion where God comes to us. Every other religion, you're trying to do this and that. You're trying to get good enough, and you hope God grades on the curve So you'll be just a little bit better than average and you'll get in. Every other religion, that's the way it works. You're trying to work hard and be the right person and do these things. And if you just kind of get enough of it done, then hopefully God will let you in. All right? That's not Christianity. Christianity says there is no way you can be good enough. There's no way. You'll never get there. But I'm going to send my son... And all you got to do is place your faith in him. And if you do that, you're in. It's by God's grace. It's not by anything that we can do. It's the only religion in the world where God comes to save us and forgive us of our sins and give us eternity with him. Let me pick back up and then uh, we'll close this out. Now, all this took place that was spoken by the Lord so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And this is out of Isaiah 7, 14, which we looked at just a minute ago, which the prophecy was 700 years earlier and saying that this Messiah is going to come. Now, you might say, well, that says Emmanuel, and now we're calling him Jesus. Think of Emmanuel as a title. That was his title, and it means God is with us. So God is here, and he wants to be with us. It's up to us to partake of the free gift of salvation that he's offering to us, because we're all sinners. I like the analogy of we're all hungry, and somebody's prepared a meal, and there it is. But if you don't take it, you don't get to eat it. Or it's like I have this watch on and I offer it to you as a gift. If you don't take it, it's not yours. So the offer is there, but you've got to take it. Verse 24, And Joseph arose from his sleep, 
and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph was obedient. He obeyed what the angel of the Lord said. He didn't have sexual relations with her until after the child was born. We don't know that much more about Joseph. There's not much written about him. You can go look in John 19, verse 26, when Jesus was dying on the cross. He turned to Mary and to John and said, John, take care of my mom. And Mary, John's going to take care of you. So it's clear that Joseph wasn't there. So people believe that Joseph had probably passed away by that time. But he was a good father. I mean, he clearly raised Jesus in the right way. Good adopted father. So let me summarize because we're running out of time. I could go on and on on this. Some of the things I take away is, first of all, Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, clearly. And we're even going to see more of that as we go through Matthew, the prophecies that were fulfilled. God can use anyone for his purposes. We see how he used some of these women in the lineage of Jesus. So it is not about being perfect. You will not find perfect people. I mean, look at David. David is described as a man after God's own heart. Look what he did with Bathsheba. And then look what he did and her husband killed. So you can't get there on your own. But through God's grace, by your faith, it's by our faith that we're saved. Our God is just an amazing God. And he's given us a way to have salvation if we will just place our faith in his son. And finally... Not only can he use anyone, but he often uses the humble and the people who are willing to be used for his purposes. You look at Mary and Joseph, the obedience that they had and what they even had to go through. Can you imagine the people saying, oh, she's pregnant? And even everybody knew afterwards that because you see Jesus even ridiculed at times saying, you know, who's your father? We know how that all happened. Mary was pregnant before Mary and Joseph even got married. So God can use each of us if we will just allow him to work in our life. It's an amazing story. God is a loving God, and we're going to have a lot of fun going through Matthew. So let me open that up for any discussion or questions that you might have. One thing I think of over and over again as we talk about Joseph is just getting back to Mary. Joseph was going to maybe have public scorn and and who knows what, but Mary, not only was she subject to public disgrace as well, but that awful, heinous idea of being stoned to death was hanging over her head. I think that she must have been petrified going through these things. We don't see a lot written about her and her faith and her demeanor dealing with this, but you know, she had bigger consequences. Yeah, you're right. There's not much known about Mary. She was probably from a very poor family in Nazareth. She was certainly a godly woman. We do know that she had a sister named Salome, who was the mother of James and John, by the way. So those would have been cousins of Jesus. I can give you some of those verses if you want to verify that. We also know that Elizabeth, who we'll be reading about, who was the wife of Zacharias, Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. We're told that Elizabeth was Mary's relative, and most commentators think she was probably her cousin through their mothers because Mary is from the line of David and Elizabeth is from the line of Aaron. The other interesting thing about Mary There are some people and some denominations who believe that Mary was actually without sin herself. And I'm not casting any stones. I'm just 
making you aware of this. For instance, the Catholic teaching, in fact, many Catholics don't even know this, but this was a proclamation of the Pope. When you hear Immaculate Conception, what all of us think of when you hear Immaculate Conception is, well, yeah, Jesus was born of a virgin. Mary was a virgin, and the Holy Spirit, just as we just read, is who caused the conception to take place. All right. The Catholics teaching is that Mary actually was born without sin, that she had no sin when she was born. And so the only way that God could come from a human is it had to be a sinless mother as well. There are no verses for that. In fact, I'll point you to a verse that is actually counter to that. If you look at Luke 1 verse 47, and this is Mary talking after she realizes what's going to happen, and this is when she's talking to Elizabeth before John the Baptist is born. And Mary says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Okay, so if Mary is saying that this is God inside of her, this child who's going to be born, and that's her Savior, well, if you're without sin, you don't need a Savior. So I just want to point that out. I'm not throwing stones. I'm just trying to read the Bible to you so you have a foundation of where did these things come from. And when people are saying things, sometimes you'll think you're talking about the same thing and you're actually not. But you're right. The faith of Mary is pretty amazing. And I hope I didn't offend anybody or anybody listening on the podcast. I'm just showing you what the Bible says. Anything else? You did a good job. Well, I wish we could have even spent more time. I encourage you to go even read some of these stories on the people that I mentioned that I gave you the references to, because when you see how God can use all of these people, they're some really messed up people. And then you realize I'm pretty messed up too. And God wants to use me if we'll just let him. And he can do amazing things working through us if we'll just allow him to do that. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.